Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, where as normal you'll find the pair of us here to discuss three uh, important kind of threads of news from the last week or so in the hotel investment space. I have Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst with me, and I'm Chris Bound, the editor of Hotel Analyst. Now it's results season, so we're going to be talking talking about uh, the latest quarterly figures from several of the hotel groups. I'm going to start off by looking at uh, a pair of operators more in the European budget space, Whitbread with their Premier Inbrand and Scandic, the Scandinavian operator. Um, both s- seeing quite a positive improvement in, uh, in levels of occupancy at their hotels uh, and uh, Scandic in particular seemed very optimistic about the return of business travellers um, both within Scandinavia and potentially seeing some a little bit more international arrivals as well. Um, whereas uh, Whitbread Premier Inn had a very strong summer, enjoyed a lot of staycation business in the UK and also it seems a bit in Germany as well, um, and looks to be facing the future in quite a, a robust mood. Uh, they've uh, during the pandemic they've managed to repurpose several of the hotels that they acquired in the in the uh, immediate prior months so they now have a decent sized portfolio actually open on the ground in Germany and are looking set to try and replicate the success of Premier Inn in the UK in that new market from the the, the talk of the CEOs they sounded uh, absolutely up for the next stage of the fight and quite convinced that uh, they'd get back to more kind of normal levels of business sometime in 2022. Uh, Scandic is a slightly different kettle of fish, although there was positive news on the uh, occupancy levels and the return of business customers. Uh, this is an operation that leases all its properties and still has quite a financial mountain to climb um, over the next year or two because they've got a backlog of taxes to pay government, um, some deferred rentals they're going to have to settle and also uh, they're going to have to settle up with the uh, fairly steep amounts of interest they're going to have to pay the uh, latest set of lenders who uh, who helped them out uh, earlier this year so andrew is is this all positive news or are we going to still yet have a rather darker winter as occupancy levels drop and therefore the cash flow uh, weakens too well overall certainly what we're seeing um is reports of faster than expected recovery so already um what many regarded as overly bullish forecasts well in fact they've come out come out generally stronger than those bullish forecasts so we're seeing a a, a quite a sharp upturn and there's good evidence here and it's good evidence not just of a sharp upturn in the leisure markets and remember both Whitbread and Scandic are largely northern European um, so therefore they're going to have great leisure if they um, given the difficulty sort of heading south for um, many citizens of Scandinavian countries and and the UK and Germany Um, so uh, this is a this is positive um leisure is positive but i think even more positive has been the uptick in business travel the um there's a slide on the scandic uh, investor presentation that looked at um what was going on on weekdays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays are now as strong as Saturday nights. So Saturday nights, obviously the big leisure uh, night. Um, it's now the weekday um, business has recovered to be the same sort of strength. Of course, historically, it's always been 
that uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday have been the strongest nights. Tuesday and Wednesday in particular have been the strongest nights. Um, that is now coming back. It's not yet overtaking leisure. I suspect it will soon, probably into Q1 and certainly by Q2, one would hope. And that seems to be when everybody, um, or certainly within these two chains, um, the senior uh, leadership teams have the expectation of getting back to normal performance, as you say, Chris, by that point. I think there's going to be lag still with the international travel piece, but for what are budget hotel groups like this, predominantly uh, domestic focused, um, it's much less important. The The city centre properties will uh, be hit the, at the big uh, gateway cities, um, but uh, um, even there, I think um, we're seeing rapid recovery um, and certainly expectations that by the end of the year um, even those sort of properties will be back at full health so pretty good i think um <clears throat> just to look specifically at whitbread um they have um particularly strong set of results um they said they now have positive cash flow um they they looked at what's happened to their cash flow from march 2020 to when these um uh, whitbread have a slightly weird reporting uh, season it ends in sort of late august 21 for for their h1 um and in that period from March 2020 to late August 2021, um, Whitbread had £600 million uh, of positive cash flow. Now, that was helped quite a bit. Um, two things, £400 million came out of the UK government um, through both um, rates relief and also um, through other uh, other. Um, uh, incentives from from the UK government um, and of course they're close to one billion pounds rights issue um, so that's really shored up the balance sheet of Whitbread but it's now throwing off cash and because of its business model which is um, either owned or leased it's very much leveraged to the upswing so Whitbread is going to be um, getting stronger um, and pulling further ahead of most of its rivals as we get into this this upswing it's already dominant in the UK its next nearest um, brand is um, Travel Lodge 45,000 rooms against its 81,000 rooms um, um, uh, Holiday Inn Express is 19,000 Ibis 16,000 um, it's I think it will pull even further ahead um, and get even stronger as we get into this recovery. It's so well positioned. It's selling 99% of its rooms directly. Just 1% are going through OTAs. It's in a phenomenally strong position. It's got a very strong balance sheet. The big question is what it does with that balance sheet, whether it makes an acquisition. Um, and it's, it's a balance for it. It's got to work out whether it can risk not doing what it needs to do in Germany or risk overpaying for those acquisitions. It's going to be a tough call. I suspect it'll make small, modest, incremental acquisitions rather than the big one. Um, oh. You know, Scandic. <laughs> Scandic's a potential, but I just don't see it happening, actually. And what about um, Motel I One? It's just well, too much. Motel One's not for sale, uh, no, perhaps. Yeah. Well, it is. Uh, anything's for sale at the right yeah. price, but uh, that price isn't going to be right, I don't think so um i doubt we'll get that um 
big big bang acquisition i bet we will see we will see wet bread tucking quite a few smaller deals i suspect as we as we get into this recovery uh and it and it and it's very well positioned i think um so uh, it's hard to see exactly unless there's a major uh, um kerfuffle in terms of the recovery um something spectacularly unwinds in terms of the economy or there's a sudden devastating new um strain of the virus um wet bread is 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 well poised and we also got a bit more of a flavor a sort of pan-european flavor for how the market is progressing from uh the scandinavian uh hotel owning group pandox who also gave us a uh, quarterly update on on their progress um their new ceo leah new um who's also now just been joined by her financial director replacement annalee lindblom um gave us a uh, a run through of uh, what they're seeing in the various markets that they operate in they operate right the way as a landlord they operate right the way from scandinavia uh through germany uh they've got some properties in belgium france and and the uk uh, so they've got a fairly good pan-european view of what's going on um there and of course they do operate a few of their 156 properties themselves so they've got also the finger on the pulse of uh, how things are out there at the sharp end um, not just um, uh, taking it second hand from their tenants um, now most most of their leases are these kind of flexible leases with a base uh, fixed rent which is uh, and then a, a flexible upside uh, where they share what share sort of performance uh, above a certain level so during the lockdown they've been collecting those base rents by and large from their uh, tenants uh, and and ticking along and it does seem now this last quarter things have started to pick up so their um their their revenues are starting to improve and they're also looking forward much more to uh, the coming months when they can see occupancies building and uh, uh, a rev part improving at uh, most of their their tenants properties so um, next year should be quite a good year um, one of the other things that obviously we've seen in the past from pandox is that they're quite good at picking off uh, acquisition opportunities uh, no news on that this time around uh, from the new CEO who uh, perhaps was a little bit more uh, tongue-tied about such things than her predecessor Anders Nissen used to be um, but uh, here, here looks to be a, a group that's uh, sitting quite pretty uh, as things pick up once more yeah no I, th I think so it's interesting you look at um, the um, how the communication style of of these groups so in the depths of the downturn uh pandox was very keen to find out that two-thirds of its rooms were leased with a downside protection now it's obviously focusing on the third the 35 percent of rooms which it directly runs and which are leveraged to the upturn so they describe this 35 percent as having a, a, a being set to have a full and immediate uh, impact from market recovery um so it, it's those properties that they'll be shouting much more about rather than the ones where they had the the um, base rent guarantees in place so it's, uh, it's it's quite a flip there i suspect however that as we as we get in into the the recovery they will still be just as keen to sign those uh, uh base rent deals um i mean they're a very disciplined um 
um, operator investor um, I, I don't think their head's going to get turned to sort of just buying into trying to get more highly geared for the recovery in the in the short term they're long-term players and I think they're very well positioned to to make acquisitions in in the in this recovery period because they are looking for that longer term play rather than the sort of five-year hold of a typical private equity which is looking to buy low and sell high um, th this this is a this is a sort of buy and hold kind of pattern that Pandox is is, is in here, and it could be that'll be the operator, uh, op directly operated properties, or it could equally be they'll 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 sign up those uh, those lease deals as well. Third kind of uh, area we're looking at in terms of results and what's going on is some feedback that we had from uh, Hilton. Now I always like to think of uh, you know people are the glass half full or glass half empty people well I always like to think of <laughs> Hilton CEO as, as glass almost brimming over he's always very positive <laughs> and um, uh, he didn't let us down this time around as he reported the latest set of quarterly figures um, uh, pronouncing that you know business travel and uh, business travellers are coming uh, back flocking back into Hilton hotels and he seems fairly convinced that uh, the, new, the new normal will be very much like the old normal uh, before very long um, so very positive on that score. Uh, one thing we did do was we took a bit of a look at what Hilton is up to in China, where uh, there seems to be a slight shift of strategy. Um, to date, they've done very well expanding in China with their Hampton uh, brand they've, uh, with a master franchise agreement. They've also got a master franchise agreement going to uh, get their home two suites uh, in and around China as two. But they've taken a slightly different tack with their Garden Inn brand, which uh, looks like they're going to be much more going it alone uh, rather than uh, signing up with a local partner. So um, taking back control. Yeah, indeed. I, I think that's that, that's very much the case in China. Um, I and mean, we we covered China um, recently. Um, I mean, there is a number of issues with that country, which uh, perhaps we haven't got time to go into in this podcast but um i agree with you chris that um Nesetta, the ceo at hilton is very much a permable um <laughs> he is he is very much the mr optimism um but i mean it, it's justified i think when you look mm. at his numbers and you look what's happening um and it, i think i was interested in when his remarks he says this is a very different sort of recovery um normally uh, the situation in a recovery is you in his words you have to grind to build back occupancy and rate lag significantly this time around he's pointing out that rate is leading the charge um this is making things snap back mm. so much faster than usual and i don't think people have factored that in enough yet um just how impactful that's going to be and again you know alongside both um whitbread and scandic saying about how much business travel is coming back so too is um hilton they're saying look we know we're seeing this now um very positive um and the expectation is actually that as people get back to work they get back to the office the leisure travel which has buoyed the hotels certainly in the midweek they see hilton sees that dropping off um people have got to go and earn some money after all um and it's but it's going to be replaced um quite quickly by 
growing business travel. So, I mean, obviously there's a bit of a balancing act going on there, but uh, um, for Hilton, they, they really sense a return of pricing power. More than a return, they've got better pricing power than they had in 2019 in, in many markets. It's it's quite phenomenal, actually, how strong this is coming Well, because bizarrely, um, there's been very few business bookings for more than a year. So that old, uh, that old annual party trick of um, trying to chip the hotel brand down on your rates um as kind of you know the whole the whole the whole things can be completely lost and now the hotels are in a completely different position they're not all kind of scared of saying no we're going to put our rates up yeah i that i mean yes to, and and to to that point i think um Nisetta on the call talked about group bookings and said just how difficult it was in terms of a balancing act not um, confirming prices right now waiting to see just pushing the decision down um, you know for later in the year so when it becomes clearer and, and into next year and it becomes clearer just how strong that demand is and how much harder they can actually price and he talked about aggressive pricing and I think that you know this is very much the case now um, um, just just um, that reminds me of something I should have said about Whitbread actually in terms of um, in terms of their strategy what what they put up and showed was that in some markets they have been pushing rate harder than it the competitors the stronger markets they've been pushing rates harder than competitors and that's led to a very significant outperformance in the much weaker markets um, so Whitbread contrasted Cornwall Devon and the Channel Islands um, super strong market and they contrasted that with a weaker market Glasgow of course Glasgow is uh, very much not this week market right now <laughs> but earlier no earlier in it um, uh, pre COP twenty six. It was uh, <clears throat> a lot uh, weaker, um, and in those markets, Whitbread was chopping rate, um, um, but that it, more aggressively than its rivals. So rate was lower than its rivals, um, but that was leading to occupancy um, gains, and that led to a, a rev par out performance. So it's been very. Uh, subtle and aggressive with its uh, um, dynamic pricing and I think Whitbread is you know didn't really talk about cutting cutting rates so much but it did very much talk about uh, being able to drive returns here so another aspect of the Hilton results which um, are fascinating I think and and it is just how much Hilton has enjoyed a run-up in its share price to the point of, of all the global majors it's had the the, it is the only one now that in economic value terms it is in a stronger position than it was um, pre-pandemic so if, if you look at say um, the weakest of the four big global majors Accor it's down 28% Hilton on the other hand is up 15% the, these are numbers from Bernstein analysts um, I, I think what we're going to see um, is this actually carry on and even increase now astonishingly Bernstein put up some numbers American Airlines their economic value um, January 2020 to now they're up 21% now goodness me an airline which still has I would argue a long long way to go to to get to a full recovery they can exhibit that I think hotels which are coming back strongly um, have a considerable amount of runway in terms of the share price and in terms of the thing which I think most people 
people listening to this podcast will be interested in in terms of the development aspects um, I think Hilton again is going to outperform the um, the market um, I, I think Europe is Europe is going to be a, a key region to watch um, Bernstein reckon it's Hilton has a market share of just 2% in Europe and 6% of the pipeline. In Asia Pacific, Hilton has 2% of the market still, but its pipeline is 15%. Now, Hilton um, made the, on the on the conference call for analysts, it said um, EMEA had been a, a difficult region to, for development because it's so dependent on face-to-face. Um, we found China in particular, but elsewhere in Asia Pac, it was able to do more online and still keep things rolling along even in the face of lockdowns. Now that Europe is opening up, I suspect we're going to see um, a, a heavy push on getting that market share of the pipeline higher um, up to certainly kind of Asia Pac levels. So I think that's where it's going to be a big push and I think we're going to going to see a lot of activity from um, from Hilton over the next. Uh, and so year to or two. our five star and no star awards for this week, uh, Andrew. We've got five stars to uh, the authorities in Thailand who have substantially opened it up the uh, the country for tourism. More than sixty three countries uh, will uh, be uh, are on the welcome list, and uh, if you've had a double vaccination. Um, you are welcome. You don't have to quarantine when you get there, and there's a couple of tests to, to go through. But largely speaking, uh, Thailand is now open for holiday makers business, and uh, let's hope that it helps the uh, decimated industry in that country uh, recover somewhat because uh, they very badly need it. Mm, but they, the problem they have, though, Chris, is they haven't fully opened up yet. So the Sangster. <laughs> crew for example um uh, unless you're under 12 um you have ah. to be double vaccinated well it's not possible to be double vaccinated in the uk if you're between the ages of 12 and 18 so if anybody with kids of that age you either face the prospect of leaving them at home um, <laughs> quite tempting, um, um or, or going somewhere else so you know i think you know, not quite it's there. good but mm. not quite there um, in terms of so it, it you know at least there's a recognition we need to get things open again and get things going um, but at the end of the day as we keep repeating us uh, and this point but um, it's an endemic disease uh, we're going to have to live with it um, open up and get your populations vaccinated um, and uh, live with it because that is all you can do um that there there are you know the, the zero covid strategy does not work you can't keep it at bay except it's there um except that you just need to keep popping a needle in your arm every so often um to ensure that um you're, and you're then and to sound. our no star award which i think andrew you're awarding this week involving a uh guest uh the four seasons in cairo in egypt this happened quite a while ago but they were they went out on a a, a, a car trip organized by the hotel uh, two of the party were actually killed in a car accident and others were injured uh, and there's been a case around getting a hotel for that it's been tricky because um, the initially the party was asked to go against uh, a local entity in Egypt um, and the the most recent uh, decision in this case is that uh, the the case can actually be heard in courts in the UK 
for although the incident happened in Egypt. But the big point for us was that um, it does appear as if here we have a luxury hotel group who was quite happy to organise an experience for one of their guests, take care of, of organising it and managing it, and yet when it all went wrong, said it's nothing to do with us, Gov. Yeah, I've got bit more sympathy with four seasons here because of the structure um you know it's a management um contract um it it, it is effectively the the actual owner of the property that has liability but um what's happened in this ruling now um it's been found actually that this also transfers to the manager in in this case as well and makes them liable um i don't think it it helped um the situation in that the one of the people that died was a QC, um, <laughs> and I suspect that uh, you wouldn't imply that judges could possibly be biased. But um, when one of their own's involved in something, I suspect they're they're going to take a dim view. Um, but I, I think the broader point in terms of the market, it shows actually this this whole uh, um, activities and tours, tours and experiences, as it's typically called, market is gonna get a little bit more complicated than some of its boosters would have you believe now i mean the ultimate booster of this has been airbnb i mean it's talked about it being um, a, a market yes. of uh, uh, one uh, 1400 billion actually is what it said in its ipo docs um so um frankly I mean, we <laughs> said at the time that's bonkers um and, it, and it's looking even more bonkers that they're going to be adequately they're going to be able to access this without an enormous amount of insurance cover so i, I think that you know it, it does put a, a, a bigger question mark on how how accessible that is going to be for companies like airbnb where they hope to sell it with their brand name as you point out chris yet when it comes to culpability they want to to fob that off to uh, whoever is actually providing the service um and i'm not suggesting four seasons actually actively doing that in this case um, um but certainly i think it's going to get very tricky for um if you are selling it under a brand um that brand is going to potentially end up with some level of liability and that complicates the whole process given actually that you're only looking for a small um cut off of the actual activity itself so um how that's structured is going to be critical i think and i, I to my mind, it does make it look uh, a lot less attractive. And on that salutary note, we'll say goodbye for now.